You know, they say that one of the worst things you can say to a person that you haven't seen in a long time is you haven't changed a bit. Now, now I understand that our ego, that's a very nice thing to say to a person that you haven't seen in maybe 10 or 15 years to imply that they still look the same. That appeases the ego. That makes us feel good. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the character of a man to say to him, you know, you haven't changed a bit. You know, some of us never grow up. We never mature. And, you know, even though we're like a little boy in a 50-year-old body, and the truth of the matter is the character of a man often does not change. So one of the worst things you can say to a person that you haven't seen in a long time is you haven't changed a bit. Now, the question today is this. When will you change? When will you change? You know, the, the concept that most people have about salvation is that salvation is just mere acceptance of Jesus Christ. And that once you do that, once you invite Jesus into your heart, into your life, well, that's basically it. There's not much that changes about an individual. In fact, the focus, the concept is, is not, not even about change. Not really, because you don't really hear a lot about it. You just hear more about you have this security, you have this you know, eternal life, you have this salvation, and that's it. Now, there is a change uh, will take place at the resurrection. You're going to be given a new body, uh, which is a wonderful thing, from flesh to spirit. You know, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your Bible plainly says that. But you're going to be given a new body, and that is a spiritual body that we're going to have, and that body will be Im immortal. But that's not the change I'm talking about. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. The change that I am talking about is this. When does the character of a man change? You know, people are waiting on you to change. Your wife is waiting on you to change, your husband, your co-workers, and God is waiting on you to change. So the question that we're going to deal with today is when do we get around to changing the character of a man? When do we develop the character God wants us to have? When does that process take place? Now, it may come as a surprise to you that there are some things that God cannot do. Or maybe I should say God refuses to do. And that is God cannot instantaneously create godly character in a man. It takes a process to create character within a man. It is indeed a process. Now, and, and I think a lot of people overlook this. They, they don't understand the importance of transformation, the importance of true conversion. And that's sort of what I'm talking about is true conversion, they really don't wrap their mind around the fact that it is a process, that just because you accept Christ in your life, well, that really is the beginning moment 
parts of this transformation process. It's what I call when you enter the salvation room process, that it is a process. Now, so, okay, God cannot instantly create godly character within a man. It is a process. Now, God did have a choice. He had some choices here. He could have programmed us to always make the right decisions. And so we would be like a, a, a computer or a robot. We would always make instinct, let's say. We would always do the right thing. Now, there are beings that never sin. And this, this is the issue. We have a problem with sin. Oh, I wish it was easier not to sin. I had these struggles. I had these addictions. I have all these thing, things going on in my life, and I just wish it was easier to please God. Now, there are beings that never sin. They're called cows. Cows never sin. I mean, they just they do what cows are supposed to do. They sit out there, or not sit out there, but they stand out there in the field and they chew the cud, and, and that's basically it. You see, the truth of the matter is God created us, mankind, a free moral agent with the ability to choose right from wrong. We can look at something that is right, and we can look at something that is wrong, and then we have a choice to make between the two. This is how God created us. So I'm saying the character-building process, the ability to come to the point to where you choose wisely is a process where you choose to do the right thing. So how do we develop the character of God, the kind of character that God wants us to have? When faced with right and wrong, God always chooses to do the right thing. Now, this is the nature, this is the characteristics of God, that God always chooses to do the right thing. So how do we develop that same character that God has? Now, in order to answer this question, we must go back in time to a being called Lucifer, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, we, we read a scripture. It says, speaking of Lucifer, this diabolical being, we, we find out how originally this being called Lucifer, which is Satan the devil, was created. And it says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in thee. So we have a grand rebellion that took place. God created the angelic realm of spirit beings, immortal beings. Angels have their roles. They have their purposes uh, for existing. And God created these beings uh, perfect, it says. It says, you were perfect in your way from the day that you were created. So we see that these beings were created, and they were, they were very good. But they also, these beings, also had free moral agency. They could choose right from wrong. And this one called Lucifer, there was a fly in the ointment. There was a, you know, a glitch here. A rebellion took place. And this being called Lucifer, Satan, drew a third of the angels. It was a grand rebellion, and I don't know how many rebelled with Satan, but it was a rebellion indeed. And so a third of this angelic realm turned against God. Why? Well, because they could. They had that freedom of choice to do so. And so they rebelled. 
Now, how are these beings created? Well, I, I take it that, that they are immortal. They are spirit beings. In other words, these guys last forever. Now, sometimes we deal with the issue, why didn't God just give us eternal life from the get-go? You know, if all salvation is about is eternal life, then why didn't he just grant us eternal life from the get-go? The answer is salvation is not just about achieving eternal life. Eternal life is just a byproduct of real salvation. In other words, it is true It is true salvation that leads to the desirable thing that we all want, and that is, of course, to live forever. Now, I'm convinced that most people really don't understand what real salvation is. Real salvation is about total transformation. Now, we have to wrap our minds around why total transformation, the development of character within a man, why this is so important the conversion process, why this is so important. We have to understand why total transformation is so important. Now, we're dealing with the question, when will you change? Okay, now let's deal with reality here. Why is total transformation so important? Suppose you were to grant Adolf Hitler eternal life. Suppose God granted it, granted Adolf Hitler eternal life. Well, you know, how could he? I mean, This insane, crazed man was hell-bent on creating a superior race of people and by, you know, annihilating a lot of people that he thought was inferior. Well, that kind of anger, that kind of hatred, that kind of diabolical way of thinking, you can't grant someone like that eternal life because they'll they'll just mess the whole world up. You know what I mean? They'll just, just mess it all up. Why couldn't God grant someone like maybe a Ted Bundy? I'm think, I'm trying to think of a serial killer here. Killers, you know, people that, you know, I think of Ted Bundy who raped and killed and brutally murdered, I think, more than 50 women. I think he had acknowledged 25 at least, but they speculate a lot more. But, you know, suppose you would grant someone like that eternal life. You can't get rid of them is what I'm saying. I mean, when we talk about eternal life, we're talking about you can't get rid of these people. They exist forever. Well, you know, the answer to this question is very simplistic, and you already have the answer, you know, is, is why these people could not be granted eternal life. It's because they have to first change. That would be your answer. And you're absolutely right. Yes, they have to first change the character of the man. They have to be totally converted, total transformation, where they are no longer the monster that they became, you know, in this earthly existence, the monster that, you know, Ted Bundy, he talked about becoming a monster. And he said that, the combination of pornography and the slasher movies, that when that wedding took place of these two diabolical forces, one was pornography, the other was these slasher movies, these horror movies that you see where parts are being cut off and people are brutally being murdered. He said when those two forces came together, something snapped inside of him and he became a monster. So we understand, okay, the monster has to be healed. The monster has to be made whole. The mo- and there is a monster inside of all of us, a potential monster. Yes, a potential monster, and it has to be totally transformed. I am talking about real 
salvation here. And the question we're dealing with is when do people change? When do people change? Now, the problem with us is this. We excuse ourselves. Often we, we, we would not identify with a Ted Bundy or a Adolf Hitler. We would say, well, I got a few problems, but I'm not that bad. And often we excuse ourselves, our behavior, too easily. And we say things like, well, a little bit of pornography is not too bad. And, and I'm somewhat of a womanizer. I sort of don't have, I sort of undress women in my mind. I don't have full control over this. Maybe I lie a little bit when it's, it's, you know, desire, well, not desirable, but when it gets me out of a lot of trouble, I will tell a lie. I have some anger issues. Yes, I realize that. But but here's the thing. From God's perspective, these are character flaws that cannot be given eternal life. Why? Well, because if God granted us eternal life with these character flaws, the kingdom of God, heaven, however you want to look at this, really wouldn't be heaven, would it, if we had all these character flaws, and yet we exist forever with our character flaws. Why is total transformation so important? Now, I don't want to say that, you know, this is sort of tough, that that God can learn things. Um, we sort of think, okay, God knows it all. God understands. He knows before I make a decision what I'm going to do. I don't quite agree with that. I think God knows what you're going to do when you do it. And God directs our lives in the direction he wants us to go. But anyway, it's, it's sort of troubling here for me to say, okay, that God could learn things through experience. But in Hebrews 5 and verse 8, we read that though he were a son, now we're speaking of Jesus, the son of God, one of the members of the God family that became flesh and blood and died for our sins. It says, though he were a son, yet learn he obedience by the things which he suffered. So we see God in the flesh is actually able to learn things, and he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So we might say, well, at least that member of the family of God could learn while he was in the flesh. Well, what I'm saying is, is this. There was a time when these beings were created, these angels were created, immortal beings without the character test. In other words, God created them immortal spirit beings, yet without the character test. And I take it that God would never again repeat this experience. Uh, I, like I said, a third of these angels rebelled. They were, they were created free moral agent. They could choose to do the wrong thing, and that's exactly what a third of them did. They chose poorly. So from that point, the character test had to come first. Okay. And this is where you and I come in at come in at. This is where we human beings come in at. We are created, God has created us mortal, subject to death. And if we fail the character test, ultimately, if we fail this test completely, we can be put out of our misery. So the difference is, you know, a, a huge difference between beings that were created immortal, like the angelic realm, and beings like us who have been created mortal, 
but my my point I'm trying to make is with us the character test has to come fr- first. In other words, from God's perspective, let's see, let's call this person, let's give him my spirit, and let's see, let's build the godly character that is needed. Let's totally transform this person by the spirit, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let's make this person a new creature in Christ, a new person. Let's change that monster inside of him and let's totally convert it let's let's do a total makeover here so how do we get to the point where we are like god now what does it mean to be like god well god can look at something that's right and that's wrong and he always chooses to do the right thing you know here's the thing you are not truly free unless you are free to do the wrong thing true freedom always involves two opposite choices if you can only choose one thing to do the right thing you're not free if you can only choose one thing to always do the wrong thing then you're not truly free true freedom involves the ability to look at two opposite choices good and bad and to make a decision that i am going to do the right thing or i'm going to do the wrong thing Now, I can just hear a lot of people saying, well, I wish it was easier than that. Okay, you want it easier, then maybe you could be a cow. Maybe God should have created you a cow because cows never sin. They always do what they're supposed to do, and that is chew the cud and stand out in the field and eat grass. That's Okay, anyway, now here's the thing. How does this take place? How do we become like God with the ability to do the right thing, to look at two choices, good and bad, and to choose the right one. How does that take place? Well, it takes place in an upcoming podcast. It may not be the next one, but entitled The Salvation Room Process. Now, there is a process that once God calls us, once we enter that room, that God begins to work and convert us through the power of his spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we enter into a specific room called the salvation room process. And it is indeed a process that goes on for the rest of one's life. Now, a lot of people don't know about the holy days of God, but there's a holy day called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's a seven-day period, and it's about putting... uh, putting eating unleavened bread which represents jesus christ and putting the leavening which represents sin symbolizes sin out of your life so get the picture you eat of the unleavened bread christ jesus you put christ in and you put sin out and obviously what i'm talking about obvious what i'm talking about is a process it's a process these what is represented by the feast of unleavened bread god's holy days the feast of jehovah have you never heard of this the feast of jehovah the holy days of god well chances are you have not and shame on you because you have not your preacher needs to educate you about god's holy days well anyway uh after this wave sheaf is offered 50 days later there is Pentecost. And Pentecost 
you know, the meaning of Pentecost is about the first fruits. Now, these 50 days basically represents one's lifespan. At least that's how I take it. But then we come to the holy day called Pentecost. And Pentecost is about the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23 says, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So by the time, you know, now again, get the picture. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, putting Christ in, putting sin out. We have a transformation process. And then 50 days later, we, we come to the Feast of Firstfruits, Pentecost. And we're told that, well, Christ is the first fruit, but then afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. And so by the time that Christ comes and resurrects the first fruits, a complete work of transformation has been accomplished in the individual's Christian life. Well, what is that accomplishment? What happens when Christ returns and resurrects his first fruits? What are the qualities of the first fruit? What are the character of the first fruits? Well, in Revelation 21, verse 27, it sort of tells us, it says in this city, this holy city, that's going to be, uh, people are going to enter into, it says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, and when you consider this, in a way, when this time comes, there is a total transformation of the character. What God resurrects is is that new creature in Christ that has been totally transformed. In a way, these people are very much like God. They can look at something that is right, and they can look at something that is wrong, and they choose to do the right thing. And we sort of come to the end of this, of what is so very important for us to understand, and that is real salvation is, it is a process of total transformation. Now, we all know that when Christ returns, the first thing that he does at the, uh, when he returns is to resurrect the saints. Now, question, what does the word saint mean to you? Does it mean, I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, we all, I think we're all familiar with that word, what it actually means uh, to be a saint. But this is who God is going to resurrect in the first resurrection. Are the saints losers? Are the saints a pack of duds? Are the saints practicing sinners? Are the saints those who have failed to overcome their sins? Well, no, of course not. I mean, a saint is a saint. It is a, a saint is a person who has the godly characteristics that God wants that person to have that has been built through that transformation process, that has been built through in the salvation room process over a lifespan, this person has actually been an overcomer and has developed the kind of character that God wants. In other words, in Revelation 2 and verse 11, it says this, it says, he that overcometh, uh, excuse me, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, this is a fascinating scripture, and I was looking at it recently, and I thought, okay, this is great. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, what about those who fail to overcome their shortcomings, their sins, their addictions, or whatever you want to talk about? 
Well, what happens to those? Well, actually, they can be hurt by the second death. Now, what is this second death? It is appointed to all men to die once. We all have to die this physical death that we all dread and we want to hold on to life, you know, but we all have to physically die, you know, this death, the first death. But what is this about a second death? Well, the second death is a death where you cease to exist. It is the total destruction of you. You are no more uh, in the second death. And the second death is something you don't want to have anything to do with this second death. So we're dealing with the subject, when do we change? What excuse are you using not to be a winner? You know that word, he that overcometh, shall not be hurt at the second death. The word overcometh means to the winners, to the winners. Yes, that's what the word means. So when do we change? Well, the answer is if God has called you, if God has placed his spirit upon you, inside of you, if you are led by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if you are part of the first fruits that God is calling, today is the day that you change. Today is your day of salvation. Judgment begins upon the the church of God, those whom he has called. Now, obviously, none of this is possible unless you have God's spiritual DNA inside of you. You see, we were created incomplete, lacking something. Most people don't like to admit this. They would never admit, okay, I'm lacking something. We like to look at ourselves as whole and complete. But truth of the matter is, you were created incomplete, lacking something. All we've got to solve our spiritual problem is a physical mind and body, unless you have God's spiritual DNA. And that's why God's spiritual DNA is so very important, so that you can know the difference between right and wrong. I mean, let's think about how can we know what is right and what is wrong, and how can we have the desire and power to choose that which is right. There is only one answer to this problem, and that is God's to receive God's spiritual DNA. And so what's the result of having God's spirit? Over a lifetime, you are to be an overcomer. You know, Jesus said, Jesus' expectation, he said to a woman at the, at, uh, at the well, he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. This is what God expects of us, and that is to be an overcomer, to be real winners, to be a real winner at life, to have the very nature and character of God living on the inside. Okay, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? This has been Podcast 103. Be sure and go online to isthatreallyinthebible.net.com.org and check out the scripture references to this program under the podcast tab. Next time, we're going to be talking about, and you don't want to miss this program, the salvation room process, exactly what goes on in that room when God calls you. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.